we're going to go to the Word of God today. Last week we talked about the hard work of prayer. There is some work involved in prayer. This doesn't just happen without some effort, although I'm sure your spirit man can pray and the Holy Spirit can pray in you, but there's also this effort that goes in prayer. So I hope you've been setting aside a little time every day to pray. Now, if you pray for one minute, I say that's okay. That one minute can turn into two, and the two can turn into three, and it can grow. And so start somewhere every day to set aside a little time to pray. And then I want us to get in the habit of integrating prayer into our lives so that we actually pray in the rhythm of our life. Every one of us have routines and patterns that we do in our life, and we can learn to integrate prayer with that. And so make sure you're not just having a prayer life, but you're developing a life of prayer. And so you can be praying all the time. Uh, but I do want you to set aside a specific time to pray as well. I think it's a good, healthy thing as part of our Christian growth process is to be people of prayer. In fact, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, I believe it talks about the building that we worship in, but I also want to remind you of another house that you have with you all the time. It's right here. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Lord, the house of the Lord? And so it should be a house of prayer, and so we want to practice being people of prayer. Now, they were going to talk about the hard work of the word. Now, I mentioned last week that work isn't usually a popular word. Everybody gets excited about, oh, good, we get to work. Uh, but work is a good thing when work's fruitful. If you've ever done a project and it's fruitful and you just feel like I really accomplished something, there's joy in that kind of work. And that the work of prayer is like that. The work of the word is like that. But the work of the word is interesting because we work to get the word in us because you might notice you can put the Bible underneath your pillow, but you didn't wake up the next day saying, oh my goodness, I just, well, I was sleeping. I memorized the book of Psalms. No, it didn't happen. It actually takes energy and effort to get the word in you. But it's kind of a two-edged thing, which is really positive. We put some, take some work to get the word in us, but then once we get the word in us, let me tell you the good news, the word really works hard for us. So we work to get it in us, but it works for us as well. So I want to look at some scriptures to talk about how we're supposed to have the word in us. And the first one is Colossians 3.16. In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you. What's the next word? Richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So not sparingly or not with a little sprinkle here or dollop there, but let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The next part's very important too. In all wisdom. You can, there's, there's some people that have some word with no wisdom and they create all kinds of crazy ideas. So we need the word of God to dwell in us richly with all wisdom where we begin teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace or making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And so the word of God is to dwell us richly with all wisdom. Then we look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And it's interesting. It says this, work hard. There's that word work, that ugly word work. Work hard to present yourself to God and receive his approval. Now, I want to be clear on this. Because the word of Christ dwells in us richly and all wisdom, we know that that does not mean that we're earning our salvation. We know that's not what it can mean, because we're taught in Scripture that salvation is a gift from God. No one can work, no one can earn it, so no one can boast or brag about it. It's a gift by receiving Jesus. 
So Paul, this guy who hated Christianity, who encountered the resurrected Christ, became a church planter and one of the most successful ministers in Christian history and planted churches all over the world and is responsible for writing more books of the New Testament than any other person by the Holy Spirit using him. So he's training this Timothy. He's a young man. He's training Timothy to be in the ministry and fulfill his ministry. And so what he's telling him is work hard to present yourself to God to receive his approval in your ministry that your ministry is approved by God. Now, we are pretty passionate as human beings to get the approval of men. And Paul said, I don't seek for the approval of man. If I sought for the approval of man, he wouldn't have been beaten so many times, thrown into prison, stoned and left for dead. He wasn't seeking for the approval of man. So he's teaching Timothy, and it's a teaching to us too. Our approval doesn't come from people. It comes from God. And so we want to work hard to receive God's approval in our lives and ministry. We're not earning salvation. We're just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good worker. It says, and it says, be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. So God's word is what? Truth. God's word is truth. And so he's saying, Timothy, I don't want you to be ashamed because you're not doing this well. You need to study and you need to do it well. Now, the opening word in there in the Greek is just a big word. And so lots of different translations translated differently. They're not contradictions, by the way. They're more complementary, if anything, not contradictions. So some of your translations, maybe your favorite translation says study to show yourself approved. Maybe another one says work hard or be diligent or, or show enthusiasm or do your best. All those are translations of how this verse opens up. When we put them all together, we learned that God is telling him, I want you to put some enthusiastic energy in your studying the word of God. Also, if we went to the whole page there, your Bibles would probably have a, a title over there that says, Teaching Against False Teachers, how to, how to Deal with False Teachers. So it's very important that Paul's telling Timothy, you've got to get the Word of God in you because false teachers and false uh, doctrines come up, and you've got to be able to handle those things. And so he's saying, I need, I need you to really study because that's how you're going to combat false doctrines and error. So the teaching there in, Tim, in that section of 2 Timothy chapter 2 is how to deal with false doctrines and teaching. And how we deal with that is we get the word of God in us. And just as, now you can say, well, that's just for Timothy. Well, it's the same thing he told the entire church at Colossae. You know, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, because we all need that. Now, the NIV translates that, and it says, it says that you rightly or correctly handle the word of truth. I like different translations. They really don't contradict one another. They, just, they give different choices of the words that they handle. That re- reminded me of something. You've probably read this before. I've read it multiple times. That when they're teaching people how to spot the counterfeit, how to spot the false when it comes to currency, what they do is they do not say, let us show you 10,000 counterfeits so you can figure out what a counterfeit looks like. Everything I've read is that you get immersed in the real thing. You get to touch it, and you touch it over and over. You smell it. You look at it. You see all that. And so when a counterfeit comes, something false comes, as soon as it hits your hands, you go, "Mm, something's not right about this. Something's not right about this. Maybe it doesn't look quite right. The real goal is to handle the real thing 
all the time, when you handle the real thing all the time, then you know when the false comes. Just like if we looked at that first set of verses, somebody said, well, see, it says right there that, that we got to work hard to, to make ourselves right before God. That's not what it says. Because you and I have handled the truth long enough, we know that can't be what that means. It can't be because we've handled the truth, and we know that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, so no one can boast it's a gift from God. And so the Lord wants us to handle the real stuff so you, we can rightly and correctly divide, handle, teach, proclaim the truth because there's lots of false doctrines, lots of false teachings, there's lots of junk out there, which I've been reminding people regularly lately, please don't go down those crazy rabbit holes that just waste your time on fringe things that don't even matter. Go ahead and work on the basics, work on the fundamentals. I don't know if you ever heard of Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant was one of the greatest basketball players ever. And a guy who studied people who are at the peak of their game asked Kobe Bryant if he could watch his workout. And he said, yes. And he said, meet me at the gym at 4 a.m. guy said, okay. So he said he got there a little bit early, and Kobe Bryant had already broke into a full sweat. And he's watching this guy, and he's just dribbling. He's just doing layups. He's shooting basic shots. He's doing all kinds of things. And he said, what, what, what's up with that? I mean, I watched you for a long time just doing basic stuff. So he said, the reason I'm the greatest in the world, this is Kobe's statement, the reason I'm the greatest in the world is because I never get tired of the fundamentals. Wow. I thought, spiritually speaking, we need to never get tired of the fundamentals. Well, pastor, you talk about just basic things like prayer and Bible study and saying no to sin and yes to God. And I know those are just horrible things to talk about all the time, aren't they? Uh, those are the fundamentals that really matter. Yeah, but I want to talk about what's hell look like. You know, you want to talk about that all the time. I don't know what hell looks like. And if I knew what it looked like, I mean, if you get some little hints into it, if I knew what it looked like, would that help me grow in Jesus at all? It really wouldn't. So we get some basic understandings, but don't waste your time on that. Go for those fundamentals and get them rooted deep in you. So here's our core set of verses for the day. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 starts out with that word, therefore. Now you've heard me and every other preacher that teaches tell you that little cute little phrase about therefore. Does anybody remember it? When you see a therefore in the Bible, what are you supposed to do? Stop and ask, what it's there for? Find out what it's there for. It's a cute little saying, but really it's a good teaching. Because I wouldn't start out a conversation with you today, and you'd be very confused if after church, this is what came out of my mouth. Hey, therefore I need to see you Tuesday at 2 p.m. What? That would make no sense. You'd want to know what the therefore is there for. Well, the therefore in Romans 12 is talking about Romans 1 through 11. If you read Romans 1 through 11, which I'd encourage you to do this week, it won't take you long, you'll get a, an incredible foundation of what Christianity is and what it is about. You'll find out what proper behavior is. You'll find out what draws people to Jesus. You'll find out uh, how to say no to sin and yes to God. You'll find out how to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. You will find out all kinds of how to be saved if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. You'll find out... The foundations 
of the Christian faith taught by one of the greatest ministers in Christian history, the Apostle Paul. And so Paul has said, I've laid out this incredible foundation of what Christianity is from Romans 1 through 11, although I do want you to know the Bible was written as letters. It did not have chapters. It did not have verses. I thank God for chapters and verses. It helps us find things, but they were just letters. So in this letter, they would have got to a point where they read, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because what you will see richly throughout Romans 1 through 11 is God's rich mercy to us who did not deserve mercy. In view of God's mercy, here's what I'm going to urge you to do. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Those two words should never go together. Living sacrifice. It only goes together and works well in our Christian life. A living sacrifice. Because sacrifices don't live, they're put to death. Old Testament animal sacrifice, the lamb died. The lamb was killed. The bull was killed. The goat was killed. The dove was killed. They were killed. We even use that in all kinds of things. Uh, we have said things like this. Maybe you had two different dreams in your life, different directions you wanted your life to go, and you said, I sacrificed, I died to my dream of being an opera singer so I could be an actress or an actor. What happened? We, we say that. I, I put that to death. I sacrificed it. In baseball, got any baseball fans? I don't know what's wrong with this. I mean, no, nobody runs, nobody works out here, nobody, nobody watches baseball. <laughs> okay, got a baseball fan here? You can raise your hand. Any baseball fans in here? You've probably heard the phrase, a sacrifice fly. What did they do? They died, they sacrificed, they died out. But why did they do it? To push the team forward, to look for victory, to move. They, it had purpose behind it. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. You say, well, but you just said it was all about dying, except in Christianity. So it's not about dying? Oh, yeah, it's about dying. I'm going to tell you why Christianity is not an American gospel. Because the gospel is this, about you and I dying to ourself, dying to our own lusts, dying to our own cravings, dying to our own sinful desires, we say, no, death to that, and we're living sacrifices. We are dying daily. We're saying no to something all the time. And if you read Romans up to 11, you'll see that. Consider yourself, reckon yourself to be a dead to, God, to sin, alive to God. Oh, I'm dead to sin, alive to God. At one point, Paul said this, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Yet the life I do live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. What's going on here? I am a living sacrifice. Now, that's tough. We've got to say no to sin, no to self, and yes to God. So we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We are to be holy and pleasing to God. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Back several years ago, I thought, you know, I'm going to change how I talk about worship because what we say worship is is not what the Bible says worship is. But it's just so entrenched in our vocabulary, it's hard to do. But I will let you know this. What the team did here is a little tiny sliver of worship. But that's what we call in the church worship. I'll say it too. I'll say, thanks, worship team. Boy, wasn't that a wonderful time of worship. 
Let's all stand while we worship the Lord. Let's, it's all around the song service. But the Bible teaches this. True worship has nothing to do with singing. You can sing and worship God, but it's not what worship is. Worship is basically saying this. You are God. I am not. I will humble myself before you and say no to me and yes to you in every area of my life. And here the Bible says this is your true and proper worship, to say no to myself and yes to God. Now, could that include singing a song? Sure. Could it include prayer? Sure. Could it include all kinds of Sure, it could include all kinds of things. But we are living sacrifices, and then we're holy and we're pleasing God. This is our true and proper worship. And then it gives us a little insight here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the, here it is, here's, here's the powerful work of the word. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind gets transformed and your body and your being and your life and your purpose and your destiny gets transformed by renewing our minds to the word of God. Thy word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. The word of the Lord is truth. And so we're saying yes to his word and no to ourselves. Is it hard to say no to your flesh? You better believe it is. Absolutely it is. So it's tough, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. When I think to myself, I really want victory over this, I go, man, that's, that's hard. And I think it's not harder than raising Jesus from the dead. And the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work for those of us who believe. And so I can say, we got this God. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, those two words are really cool. You got conform and transform. Now, when something is conformed, it's mashed into a mold. You often have a mold, and it gets filled, and it gets pressed. Some of you might have seen an assembly line where something comes down, cuts something, just pressure, bam, bam, cuts them all, and they all go down the line looking exactly the same. That is conformity. Do not let the world mash you into its mold. Instead of letting the world... By the way, when the Bible talks about the world, it's not talking about planet Earth. It's not talking about, about crops and trees and, and the sun and and dirt, and all that. It's talking about a system, the way the world operates. And so don't let the world mash you into its mold. Instead of that, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I put a butterfly on the opening slide. You can flip that up there real quick. But a butterfly is like a beautiful example of transformation. First of all, forgive me if you think caterpillars are the most lovely creatures in the world. I don't particularly think they're the most lovely creatures in the world. So this fat, bumpy, to me, not that attractive caterpillar goes into a cocoon and comes out that. I mean, that is like this beautiful, graceful, magnificent, beautiful thing that this caterpillar turns into. It's been transformed. God wants to take your caterpillar life and turn it into something like that. And by the way, this thing can fly. It can fly. And they're beautiful and they're graceful and they're gorgeous. And God wants us to be transformed. And he wants to be transformed by renewing our minds to the truth of God's word. 
It said, once you are transformed by renewing your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Now, people are afraid of God's will. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> yes, I want to go to heaven when I die. I just want to say the prayer two minutes before I die because I know being a Christian would be awful. Really? Because let me tell you what the Bible says. Because I want to transform my mind and my body to the word of God. Here it says that God's will is good. It's not just good, it's pleasing. And it's perfect. Why would you want something different than that? You and I want a life that's good and pleasing and perfect, and when our lives get transformed by our minds getting renewed to the word of God, it's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect, it's beautiful. People whose minds have been transformed and know God know God has our best intentions in mind. See, the American way is this. And that's not fair to say. The human way is this. You do not have to be in the Western world. The human way is this, around the globe, globally. You hear me say this little thing all the time. It's this. I want to do what I want, the way I want, when I want, with whom I want, where I want, and I don't want anybody telling me different. I want to live my life, my way, on my terms. I want to be true to myself. Be, let me be me. I want to be me. And Christianity says, you know, here's what I want to do. I want to kill that. Ugh. Yeah. You say, well, I feel like you're, you're kind of injuring us with that message. I don't want to injure you. I want to kill you, okay? I want to make sure that you're dead, <laughs> dead, completely dead. Jesus says completely dead. Now, but what's the end result? Jesus said, I have come that you might have a life and have it to the fullest measure. So if we're going to be, if the word of God's going to dwell us richly with all wisdom, we go, hmm, if God wants to put to death my way of doing things, then it must mean that his way of doing things is better. And so oh, the way I do things, if it's sinful, that is, I know this because the word of God dwells in me richly in all wisdom that sin produces, does anybody remember? Death. But God's not an author of death. He's an author of life. And so Jesus said, one of the purposes I came is that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure. So in order for me to have life to the fullest measure, I had to put to death my own cravings and my own sinful desires that produce death, and I have to enter into God's will, which is good and pleasing, and perfect. Hmm. So God's not really out to get anything from me? Well, if we could ever learn this. He's God. There's nothing that you have that he goes, man, I really want that. If you had something he didn't have, he could make it like that, but you don't because anything you have came from his source. So we want his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's learn from Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Now, this puts us all on the same playing field. You and I cannot be haughty. We cannot be proud. We cannot say, well, I look down on you, or I'm better than you, or I'm holier than thou, or blah, blah, blah. Now, let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, as for you, he's talking to Christians in the city of Ephesus, as for you, you were, I know they're Christians because they were dead. If they weren't Christians, they would still be operating in that death. As for you, Ephesian believers, 
As for you, you believers here who are at crossroads, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, you get the past tense right, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. What's he saying? Same thing he said in Romans. The world has a pattern. It has ways. You used to live in that when you followed the ways of this world and you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is the devil. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There's a spirit behind disobedience and it's not the Holy Spirit. Now you say, well, boy, I disobey, so am I possessed with a demon? No, but there's one that wants you to disobey. I'm very serious about that. You say, that scares me. Don't let it scare you. Just walk in your divine right and authority. Paul said this, when I want to do good, evil is present with me. Hmm, what is that? Evil wants you not to do good. So maybe somebody treats you really hateful and mean. You say, you know what? I'm just going to love them. I'm going to forget about it. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to let it go. There'll be something that whispers in your ear and says, you don't need to let that go. You need to give them a piece of your mind. You need to tell them this, and you need to tell them that. And if you want to sprinkle in a few cuss words, I'm for that too. So go, go, go. And you go, wow, what happened? When I want to do good, evil is present with me, giving, giving me a different path to go. And so I'm going to say no to evil and no to flesh and no to sin and yes to God. And when it all works out, in the end, that's the best way to go. So here, let's read on. All of us, did you hear that? Me, you, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The scripture teaches that when we are not Christians, we are storing up wrath for ourselves against the day of God's wrath. Now, people who don't know God will say, see, God's so mean. He's always out trying to get somebody and pour out wrath and judgment. But that's not true. The Bible says this, even in the Old Testament, because we, we think, this is wrong teaching, but we think, well, I really like the God of the New Testament, but the God of the New Testament, whoo, he was a mean one. Uh, no, it's the same God. And those who knew God best in the Old Testament said this, I know you, you are abounding in love, you are slow to anger, and you hate to sin judgment. That's our God. I love the King James Version because it really, it describes God, I think it's a beautiful way of saying, long-suffering. He suffers long. Now we can say, I think God gets mad too fast. No, he doesn't. In fact, you, if you were put on the spot, would think he doesn't get mad fast enough. Because when people wrong you or do wrong, you do not want God to say, just don't bother them. I'm going to give them another 200 years. 200 years? I was giving them like 20 minutes. And then I wanted to, God, Jesus, you want us to call down fire on them? That was James and John. And we're ready. Let's do it. And he says no. Do you know there was people in the Old Testament that God said, don't mess with them, don't touch them. They're, they're in an era of mercy, and people would look at that and say, they've been doing evil for three generations. God's slow to anger and abounding in love. And so he doesn't want to send calamity, 
He doesn't want to send judgment, but if you and I, and by the way, the verse isn't saying if you had a bad day, you got wrath coming. It says, if you say no to Jesus and yes to my way of living, the ultimate will be the wrath of God. Now, God's word's forever settled in heaven, and so when we look at this, we see what kind of things does the world, the world has a system, right? We read that. Don't get caught up in the pattern of it or the ways of this world. We find out the ways of the world produce death. We find out the ways of the world are inspired by Satan. We find out that disobedience, it, evil wants us to disobey. And so we look at this and say, well, what do we do? Don't get caught up in the ways of the world. See, the world has a way. Darlene said she caught a little bit of an interview of a star the other day. And this star said that she was an actress through her teens and through her 20s and 30s. And she's still an actress today. And she said, I wouldn't suggest that for people because I missed out on so much, you know, of my youth. Now, one of the things, she said lots of things. One thing that stuck out in my mind, she said, because I worked so much, I never got to walk home drunk in the snow. I went, where, where, where did that become? This is something you're grieving? I never got to walk home drunk in the snow. I'm sure there's some Hollywood movie out there where it's some beautiful thing that somebody meanders in a beautiful New York snow, you know, to their door drunk. But I'm thinking, wow, that's crazy. I'm going to let you in on a little insight. Getting drunk is sin. Getting drunk is wrong. Getting drunk is improper behavior. Well, now, Tracy, I mean, no. No, it's wrong. It's sin. Now, the best thing that's ever happened, if you've been drunk here before, you don't raise your hand. No, this will be the one thing somebody participates in. Yeah, that's me. No, okay. I won't admit I like baseball, but yeah, I've been drunk a hundred times. Uh, so beware. It's not, this is not hand-raising time. If you've been drunk before, the best thing that happened, the best thing that could have happened, was nothing. And... But you know what? A lot of bad stuff has happened and could have happened and does happen. I was heartbroken one day. We were watching the news. And it wasn't even on purpose, but every college, major college, has people that get killed and on the campus. And, and they talked about three of the young ladies at IU that have been killed over the years. And every episode started out like this. And I, it wasn't on purpose because I don't think they were trying to say it. I said, wow, did you notice how every story opened up? Every story of the, of the poor girl that got killed said, after a long night of drinking. The next episode, after a long night of drinking. The next episode, after a long night of drinking. I thought, oh my goodness. Now, do, do good people who aren't drinking in nice neighborhoods get killed too? Yeah, absolutely, I get that. I will tell you this. I bet it's one in a hundred compared to what happens where, where drunkenness is occurring. And so I encourage you, be very careful. And for goodness sakes... You call yourself a believer, please do not tell your kids when they go off to college, this is your chance to go out and drink and party and sow your wild oats and have sex and do all this stuff. What? I just want you to know that. All that's sin. And sin in the end produces death, and it ultimately doesn't work to your good. It doesn't work to your good. I got a buddy who walked away from God. He got wild. He said he was so wild that the wild people didn't want to hang out with him. And I mention him every now and then because he says all that sin, five years into sin, took a toll on his life. And he was very sexually promiscuous. And he said, and, and he, he loves the Lord, and he, I believe he's overcome this, but he had so many sexual relationships 
that he brought that into his sexual relationship with his wife because he had comparison to do on lots and lots of people. And he would say, if he could, you couldn't convince him at the time, but he would say, now, boy, if I could go back and erase that because it still produces pain in my life. So don't get the idea that you'll come out unscathed. There will be some kind of a problem. And yes, God's gracious and we'll work through it. But I'll tell you what, wouldn't it be better not to have to work through something? Now, some of you may be alcoholics in the house today, and I just want to say, love you, not beating up on you, will help you, pray for you, I want to see you free, I want to do all that. But I am telling you, it's easier, I don't have to overcome alcoholism. I'm not trying to be haughty, I'm not trying to be proud, I'm trying to teach a point. It's better not to have the problem than to have to struggle through overcoming the problem. My mom had a word of wisdom for me, and all of us kids, and in pure logic, it falls apart, but you'll totally understand what she's saying. She said, the best way to break a habit is never start one. I thought, boy, that's true. That's true. The best way to break a habit is never start one. And do I know people drink responsibly all over the world? Sure, I know that. But I'm saying, be careful, because this gal says, I miss walking home in the snow drunk. I'm going, wow, okay. See, there's things this culture loves and things this culture champions and celebrates. And when you contrast it to the ways of the Lord, it's very, very different. God said, God said, the ways of the world produce death. The ways of the world are sin. The ways of the world are led by Satan. The ways of the world are evil that cause us to be disobedient. And we don't want to live outside of Jesus or there's wrath that comes. So his words forever settled in heaven. And people say, well, times change. Times do change. God's forever settled word doesn't. And people say, well, yeah, but in the Old Testament they did this. I always love how they bring up the Old Testament. First of all, they'll bring up very Jewish-specific laws. And I'm going to guess that there's probably not a Jewish person in the room today by natural descent. And there might be, and that's fine. But most of us aren't Jews, and we don't obey Jewish-specific laws. So they'll say stuff because they'll learn just enough Bible to excuse their sin because there'll be something the Old Testament didn't like that they do like, and so they'll try to throw it all away. So they'll say, well, I ought to be able to do this because the Jews said you couldn't wear, the Old Testament law said you couldn't wear a garment that had two different cloths in it. For illustration, they had decided to see what this shirt had. I figured it had mixed cloth. It's 100% cotton. I said, that's okay. Well, I'll just use this jacket as an example. 100% wool. I am walking in Old Testament law today, I'm telling you. I don't know. But, but when you look at all that's taught in the Old Testament, and by the way, the scripture is very clear about what the Old Testament law was for and what salvation in Jesus is for. It's very clear. It's very explained in scripture. So I don't have to get confused by it. It's very clear and explained in scripture. But the Old Testament also has universal laws of behavior. Do you know God would say, whether you're atheist, Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, whatever, that murder is wrong? You know, that was taught in the Old Testament that you shouldn't murder. It will teach, no matter what your religion or lack thereof, to falsely accuse someone and get them put into prison is wrong and sin. It, it's, it all, there's universal laws that we're all called to live in that have not passed away. Well, this guy named Craig Rochelle. Forgive me, but I'm probably going to mention him a lot lately because I got a hold of one of his books that I fell in love with, and I've gone through it six times in the last month. 
So uh, if Craig Rochelle starts popping up, that's because I put so much Craig Rochelle stuff in my mind. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. He was in college. He was in a fraternity. And his fraternity got in trouble for not behaving properly. I know that's no other fraternity that's ever happened to, but the one he was in, it did. And so he said, man, he said, I need some PR. I need to put some window dressing on this. So he decided that he was going to have a Bible study at his fraternity and advertise it. And that'd be some good PR. Do you know there's actually a time where people thought the Bible was good? That he knew, if I say we're having a Bible study, that'll give us credit with the university and with the people in the community. So he started a Bible study. He didn't know nothing about the Bible. Didn't know anything about God or anything. He made a grave mistake. He started studying it. And guess what he did? Fooled around and got saved. He knew nothing about Christianity. And so one of his other fraternity brothers, not coming to the Bible study, went somewhere else and gave his life to Jesus. And they find out we're both believers. Now, they're brand new believers. They know nothing about God, nothing about the Bible to speak of. So they decided they would go out and celebrate. So they went out to a bar and got drunk. True story. He said, we, that, he said, now I know that's wrong now, but at the time, that's how Christianized I was and how much the word had transformed me. And so he started working on his life, and then he realized, wow, I drink an awful lot. He said, I got some alcoholics in my family, but I always knew I could quit any time until I couldn't. And he said, then the Lord helped him. The Holy Spirit helped him overcome that. He had to die to self and say yes to God. And by the way, that's difficult, but he did it. Then he had another problem. This gets us PG-13 today. Craig Grishel, a young, red-blooded American male in college, likes something that you may think, I didn't know young, red-blooded Americans like this. Sex. And he said, how am I not going to have sex? The Bible says that sex is for marriage, and I really like having sex. In fact, he said it's really the goal of the fraternity was just how many women could you have sex with. And so he prayed about it, and he thought the Lord let him do something totally radical because he knew this. If I go out on a date with somebody, I'm going to try to have sex with them. So he decided, I'm not going to go on a date. I'm not going to date until the Lord says I can date again. Everybody thought he was crazy. His buddies, they, he said they made $100 bets on him. First of all, $100 was big money back then. He's probably 50-some years old, 52, 53. And college kids don't tend to have a lot of money. They made $100 bets whether he would last two days, three days, or two weeks. He did not date for two years. And then he met his wife, Amy, and they dated, and they kept themselves sexually pure, and they re reserved sex for marriage. And he said, I believe that two years was what I needed to learn how beautiful God created women, and that they weren't created to be sex objects and to be used for your pleasure and benefit, but God had a design for men and women, and it was God's design, and he hooked up to God's design, and he said, I totally credit that to why Amy and I, this is Craig talking, have such an incredible, incredible marriage. I'm sure it's very extremely difficult for him to say no to his sexual passions, no to his desire to drink, no to all these things that were coming at him, but he just kept going forward and kept going forward. And maybe those two years of, you know, saying no to all that 
is why he has six children today. I'm not sure, but he has six children. <laughs> Hebrews says this in 12:11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. I want to get out of your head discipline being spanked. I, I was spanked when I was a kid. Uh, not viciously, not violently. No, I was not beaten. I was not any of that. My, my mom did the spanking because dad was out and she was at home. She worked as a beautician but was connected to the shop. So when we, when we misbehaved, let me say this differently. When my two brothers misbehaved and I got caught up in their sin, you know, uh, she would come in. She had a theory. She was right. She said, I spank everybody and I know I got the right person. And so... She had a western belt that hung on the cellar door. When she whipped it off the door, the, the belt would jingle. You know, you'd hear that jingle. Oh, great. Tony and Everett have gotten me in trouble again. And so she would come in and spank all of us. And generally it didn't hurt that much, except it hurt our hearts and hurt the, you know, we knew we were disciplined. So I want you to get away from spanking, and I want you to think about, and spanking can be a part of discipline, but I, I want us to see, think of discipline as a coach or a teacher. A coach does correct and maybe even chastise a athlete or a teacher, a student, and then works at improving them. So he may say to somebody, say, I don't understand why you can't hit a free throw. It's basic basketball. So what you're gonna do is you're gonna come in early before everybody else on practice, you're gonna shoot 50 free throws. After practice is done, everybody else is showered and heading home, you're gonna be out here shooting another 50 free throws. None of that seems pleasant at the moment but painful later on. Don't miss, that's a beautiful line, later on. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been, what's that next word? Trained by it. Trained by it. We want to be trained to be righteous and be holy. We want his good, pleasing, and perfect will in our lives. So here's our action steps for the week. I want to encourage you to begin reading the Bible every day. Is it a verse? Is it a chapter? I don't know. Just start somewhere. Find a great book on transforming your mind, changing the way you think. Joyce Meyer's written one. I've never read it, but considering it's sold four or five million copies, I assume it must be a pretty good book. It's called The Battlefield of Your Mind. Craig Rochelle's written one on the mind. I haven't read it either, but he came out with it about a year ago. I suppose it's probably good. I've never read anything of his that wasn't good. So find a good book. If you get on a website and just put in a Christian book on thought life, you will get some great books recommended to you. Find a Bible study for transforming your mind. In fact, I'm going to give you a free resource. I'm going to share with you a free resource from someone else. It's not from me, but here it is. If you got a, a piece of paper or a smart device or you can take a picture of this, here's what it is. For those who are listening maybe on audio and don't have video, uh, you can go to uversion.com. You can select when you get to that site, Support. Then, when, then you click on support, spiritual support resources. And then you click on resources by topic. I know some of you are going, this is too much for me. No, you can do it. And scroll down and you'll see a topic called healthy mindset slash thoughts. If you click on that, you'll find four studies. They're, they'll email them to you. They're, some of them are three days long. Some are seven days. I think the longest one's like 10, if I remember correctly. And you can just get a Bible study to help you with your thought life. Healthy mindset and healthy thoughts. So make our, our transformation of our life hinge upon what the Bible says, the renewing of our mind, 
and let's get the word of God in us to transform us. Let's pray together. Lord.